in the midst of difficulties. Praise the Lord. That's when you've really got a, a praise that's worth testifying about. God bless you. We greet you tonight in the name of the Lord. Certainly welcome each of you that are here in the visible audience and those that are streaming, all the streamers. We <clears throat> want to welcome them as well. I know we have several that um, still have not felt comfortable in coming back to church because of all this stuff that's going on. We certainly understand that. We want to remember all of them in, in prayer that God would just be with them. And we miss them, don't we? We miss them when they're not here. You may not be here, but you're not, you're not forgotten. We love you and we want you to know that. Let's turn tonight again, if you would, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> Before we read there, Brother Louis said, uh, Brad Gilbert had, had a request that he wanted us to pray about tonight. Also, I'd um, like for you to remember Brother Jack and Sister Betty Roberts. I talked to Brother Jack just before I came out a little bit ago, and Sister Betty uh, got to come home Monday night, and uh, they're both doing, doing pretty good uh, with the COVID thing. They're still not over it yet, but we thank the Lord for, for the improvement that they've had. Uh, still, I'd like for you to remember my daughter, Alicia, if you would. She's feeling better. The Lord touched her here Sunday whenever in service, and we certainly appreciate that, but still needs a touch from the Lord. And uh, I'd like you to remember Erica also. Erica's doing well. Thank the Lord. We so appreciate that. Had four treatments. Got a fifth one coming up a week after Thanksgiving, which is Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And uh, she still gets tired and things, but we're so grateful. So many of the symptoms that normally accompany the chemotherapy and all that, the Lord has been so gracious to her. And we certainly appreciate it. How many has got so much to thank Him for? You know what? I told Carol yesterday and today was talking about it. You know, we can spend all of our time just being so sad and so down. We've got a lot to, to affect us, we should, don't we? That's right, we do. Or we can spend that time being grateful for all the things that yes, He does for us. Amen through the midst of all these difficulties. It's your path. You choose which way you want to go. You can praise your way out of it or feel sorry for yourself and have the mully grubs and just be mad and aggravated at everybody else. That don't help you or nobody else either. The only person that helps is the devil and I'm going to do everything I can to hurt that rascal not help him. Don't you? Amen. God bless you. Let's, let's read together and then we'll, we'll pray over the word tonight. Also, I wanted you to, uh, to remember... Brother Randy Gissendanner, he'll begin in um, some treatments in about uh, two weeks. They were able surgically to remove um, a lot of the cancer that was in Brother Randy's body, but part of it they could not remove, so um, they were going to have to begin chemo in, in two weeks, and I asked him if it was okay if I mentioned it to you all, and he said, most certainly wanted you all to know about it and to be praying for him, so we'll certainly be remembering yes. our brother that the Lord would just be with him and my sister Sharon as well. Well, let's read about the times that we're in. 2 Timothy 3.1. This know also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Can anybody in here with me tonight say, it's here? It's here. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Wow. These are your neighbors, some of your family, some of your friends, some of the people you work with. I hope it ain't none of you all. Without natural affection, truce breakers, 
false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And notice the last verse is the clincher of all this. They're not infidels and agnostics and they're not communists. In reality, they're not even socialist, but they're having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. My, my. Think of it. You're living in this very time frame, and God, by His grace, has rescued you, has rescued me, has rescued all of those that believe from being these people. Because in reality, a lot of us fulfill these verses. You know, there might have been certain ones you didn't do, but when you look at it, I had a whole lot against me. And so did you. Thank God for His grace. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, we bow our heads to the dust of the earth, and we know, Lord Jesus, that through the breath of life, You have breathed into this dust body eternal life. And we are so thankful. But we know that the body itself never caught that breath, but it was the soul. And we know if time would tarry, and you, Lord, would delay your coming before too many years, Father, some that's standing here, Lord, another generation will be, no doubt, the preachers and the deacons and the trustees and the musicians, and time will roll on. So, Father, we ask that while we are here, And we have an opportunity. Help us to serve you with everything that we have. Our strength, our might, our mental capacity, everything that we are, and mainly our soul that's in love with you. Father, these needs and requests that we've mentioned to you tonight, God, no doubt there's many, many others. I pray that you'd be mindful of us, Lord. We thank you for through all the things that we go through. Your grace is sufficient. We love you with all of our hearts. Open our understanding tonight, Father, to your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. Thank you. I find this an amazing verse that Paul would start to address such traits and characteristics of the last days. And he would use these opening words, this know also. We know that also is in the English language, it is a word that is added to something else that has already been seen, heard, or said. Of course, you read uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Second Timothy of the things that Paul has already addressed. But he felt the need to also include this. Needless to say, it's not something that would make us very happy. The contents of these five verses are not something that is uplift, uplifting <clears throat> to us doesn't make us feel like shouting, doesn't 
make us feel like rejoicing. But yet, it's a part of prophecy. And sometimes prophecy has this side. Now, he uses these words, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. The terms last days are actually words that were brought over from the Old Testament. It was used, first of all, in the book of Genesis. Whenever the prophet said, come you sons of Jacob, and I will tell you what will befall you in the last days. Also used in the book of Isaiah. Also used in the book of Daniel. So we know that it is a term that is used to be able to frame something that would fit in a certain time frame. Now actually whenever Paul is writing this, the last days is already in motion because the term last days is inclusive from the first century until the time of the rapture or the going away of the bride. So it's during this interim period that this term last days is going to be. So it's not the last 25 days before the rapture. It's not the last 10 days, but it's inclusive. Now, prophetic language can be kind of strange. Now, we would think, well, why didn't he just say the last 2,000 years? But you see, days is a term that God anointed his prophets to use when it would be something that would be a symbol that it would actually symbolize a period of time. So instead of saying 2,000 years, it would say the last days, the last two days, two days which fell in succession. So God's way of saying things sometimes is very difficult to us. And we think, well, by reading the Bible, that we just read it the way we'd pick up a newspaper and read it that way, but we'll miss so much if we do. So Paul knew that the last days had already begun. John turned it and said that you've heard that the last times or the latter days or the last part of the sequence of time would come to pass. And he said that the Antichrist would be revealed. And he said, it's already here. So the succession of the last days has been going on since the first century, actually from the time that the Lord Jesus began to speak of the prophetic countries. From John the Baptist, actually, when John the Baptist come and spoke what he'd done, John never spoke so much of what would come after the Lord Jesus, but it was the beginning of the dispensation with the Son of Man. And when the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus, began to utter the prophetic things that actually started the sequence of what is known as the last days. Now in that, there would be times that the last days would catapult to reach such heights of the prophecies and there would be times that it would go down and it would ease up a little bit. We know that the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that the churches had rest. So it was as if God would force Satan to 
back off the pressure that was against the churches and they would have a little, a little bit of reprieve away from that time. We know that it would coincide with the Roman emperors that Caligula and different ones would come through and they would actually buy, they would cause such difficulty on the church. And then you would have ones and they would have seemingly a change of heart. They would still be a Roman emperor. They were still as heathen as they could be, but God would move on their hearts and give the churches a little bit of reprieve. Then of course we know it come at the time of Constantine that when it come there, 300, 325, all of that, the Constantine actually was the beginning of the Roman church as we know today. But in that time, the church had several decades of time by which they were given a great reprieve and there was not any tribulation. And that seemed to be a great thing, but yet God knew exactly that was the beginning of the end. Now, what was the beginning of a reprieve of the time of tribulation? Because he put an end to the Christians being crucified. He put an end uh, to where that they would no longer burn them as torches as they did in the days of the preceding emperors. And it looked like a great thing, but yet little did many of them know that by marrying the church into Rome, and setting Christianity as the state religion, then they would turn eventually from the Roman Empire into the Roman Catholic Church. Then they would take that power and they would begin the Inquisition. They would begin the Inquisitions of time, of course, the Spanish Inquisition and then the Roman Inquisition and the time that they would burn them and it would turn from the Roman political power until the Roman church power. Now, for many, many hundreds of years, we've been living in a cycle by which the Roman power has no longer been doing the Inquisition. But we know according to prophecy that the power will return again. Now, we also know that America was seen in the prophet John's vision as he was on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation chapter 13. And we know that in that, in the book of Revelation, that the symbols of land and of water and of beasts and many of these things were used to symbolize powers. And we know that whenever John saw a beast that would rise up out of water, that it meant this beast power was coming forth out of thickness and multitudes of people. But when John saw this peculiar looking animal, and this animal raised up and it began to speak like a lamb. Now, it was not like the ox or it was not like the bullock. It was not like the beast of Revelation 17. But it was an animal or a power that raised up out of the land and there was not many people there. Now, actually, that power, John saw a buffalo. Now, the buffalo, it had horns like a lamb, which of course the buffalo's horns are really short. It must have been very unusual to John, and by naturally speaking it, John had never more than likely ever seen a buffalo in his life. 
but yet God was raising up this power that would be able to express and it did not come out of thickness and multitudes of people because the Cherokee, the Arapaho, the Blackfoot, the Lakota, all the different ones were scattered across this nation. So John saw this power coming up out of a place where there was not many people there. And it had two horns in the representation of civil and ecclesiastical power. But when it first started out, it started speaking as a lamb. Now this was the birth of our nation, America. And this is when the Europeans come and they took it away from the original owners of it, and that was the Native Americans. Uh, And yet whenever it was founded, the symbolism of its power was two horns, not seven like John saw, and there was not one that broke off the side and then had an eye, which was Antiochus Epiphanes in the Old Testament, but just two horns, and notice there was no eyes in the horns. So it was a symbol of a great power that would raise up. Now this is our nation. And this is why I do not believe that our nation will ever turn toward communism. I do not believe that as a whole, our nation will ever turn solidly toward socialism. If you'll remember the vision the prophet saw, that he saw socialism and communism and all that merging together into communism. And whenever he heard the voice say, you know, that it was to what? Watch Russia, watch communism, not socialism. Now we've got socialists in our government, we know that. And we know that there is a social power that's trying to raise up in America. But don't you never fear that because it will be the power of Catholicism that will raise under the civil and the ecclesiastical power that will actually lead this. Now you'll notice when the prophet saw this vision, the prophet John, he saw it maintaining in the stage of its use. He never saw this nation actually turning into a ram, but it was, he said, as a lamb. So it was as a lamb. So what did it signify? It signified that this nation would raise in great power, but it would never become an old nation like the European nations have done. It would never become an old nation like Babylon, like Syria, like Israel, but it maintained its use and actually it would have been killed in its use. Now I'm sorry you didn't know, I just quoted to you a direct quote from the message. So notice this, whenever John saw this, then whenever Brother Branham turns and sees the same thing, and he says that it was actually the nation itself never got hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years old, as you know, Sicily and Italy and many of those places, but it still remained the identity of its youth. So our nation itself grazed a great part in the last days of prophecy, and that those civil and ecclesiastical powers will come together. And the prophet tells us over and over again 
that it will be through an election. Now, he's not talking about the election of, of grace, but he's talking about the American vote and that it would be through an election that they would put this power in. And whenever it does, this power makes a transition. Now, it jumps from being as a lamb. It starts out freedom of religion. We the people, we the people. All the people has the rights to do this and do that and something else. But at the right time, it will change and the voice will go from the voice of a lamb and it will speak with the power of the dragon. And it will speak as the dragon that was before it. Now, friend, you believe whatever you want to believe. I believe that we are on the very fringe of that prophecy when the voice will change. Now, will it come through a, a, a side, an aspect of socialism? You know, you hear so much about the reset, the reset. They're wanting to reset our government. And you know, you look and you realize that through the COVID thing already, that people's rights have already been fringed upon. And it looks like they're fixing to do it again. And the governor of New York today, you know, yesterday had made a comment that a lot of the spread of it in their, in their area was blame was to be laid on churches and on synagogues. So now think of it, if that same thing moves down into Tennessee and Ohio and all these other places, well, you churches can't meet because you all are the ones that's doing it. Isn't it amazing? All these people can get out and protest and do this and that and the other and none of them COVID germs follow protesters? Okay, well, all right, if that's the way you want to play ball, I'll play with you. Then Sunday morning, we're having a devil protest. We're having a sin protest. So apparently, if COVID don't follow protests, we're no longer just going to have church services alone, but we're going to turn them into protest meetings. And we'll protest abortion, and we'll protest homosexuality, and we'll protest drinking and lying and adultery and fornication. Well, praise the Lord. If Black Lives Matter can protest and none of them gets COVID, I tr surely we can protest people killing babies. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Isn't it amazing how that it turns when the shoe goes on the other foot? People don't like that, do they? But you see, our nation now, will this happen before the bride is gone? I do not know. I do know there is a thus saith the Lord from the prophet of God that he said it this way. We will be facing a religious persecution. It will come. Now, will the bride see that? I don't know. Will the bride enter into the initial stages of it? I do not know. All I know is I want to be ready every day of my life. And if we do, then God will give us strength to face it. And there ain't really worrying and fretting about it anyway, because if we are, your worry won't help you. Your faith will help you more than your worry will. So we can see from the setting here in 2 Timothy that there are many, many aspects of this prophetic word that must all come together at the right time. Now, no matter how much the uh, people of America, and you know, this is, has probably been in the, in the making for many, many years, of those who would like to destroy our democracy and they would like to take away the, white, the rights of the church and all of that, but they could not do it until 
there was a release. Now we know that even the Lord Jesus, even though he was light, he could not come out of the grave and his body could not come back to life until his soul lined up with the prophetic word that within three days he would rise from the dead. So that word kept him back from entering into his body. There's no other reason why he did not just leave his body, go down into hell, empty out paradise and be gone the next morning. Well, why didn't he do it? There was a word that kept him from doing it. Right? So the resurrection could not happen until the right time. The rapture cannot happen till the right time. The people who are finally going to lead our nation to total destruction cannot do it till the right time. The right man cannot be the president or woman could not be the president. I don't care how many they tried and what they tried to do. It cannot happen until God's prophetic word lines up. There's nothing you and I can do to make it happen and there's nothing we can do to stop it from happening. Now these are things that God sovereignly controls on his own. It does not even depend on our faithfulness to it. It does not depend upon how much we pray about it. it God, many of these things God does in his own sovereign will and I am so glad because man would totally mess it up. But notice Paul mentions 19 different things, conditions that would exist. Now, I'm sure that no more than likely many of these things existed in the time when Paul was writing this, but it was a great decline that he's going to speak about. It was times of a great rampage and great fierceness that was going on in society. So it was not just in the church, but it was, as, as is termed, a societal uh, degeneration and a falling apart of society, of home life, of politics, of religion. So it's going to be a falling apart, and these will be the observable 19 characteristics that the believers will be able to look at. Now really, only the believers will have the true insight. Many people can read this Bible and say, oh yeah, yeah, that's around, that's here, that, that. But the believers being baptized by the Holy Ghost, they have an insight that even just a Bible reader would not see. Now, the word that he uses as he introduces this is the word perilous, and it means violent and fierce, wild, difficult, grievous, hard to bear, and distressing. So these will be perilous times. Anybody find them so in that day? that day as it is in this day as it has been before. But remember as we get closer to the consummation of time, then these things will definitely get worse because it's like there's more demons that are released out of hell. I personally don't understand how all that works. But I do know that with the opening of the seals, there came a great change in the world of demons. When the Lord Jesus came to the earth, there was more physical manifestation. And you hear the demons' voices is crying out of people more in those three and a half years of his ministry than you did in the entire canon of scripture in the Old Testament which covered a span of hundreds and hundreds of years. And yet in that little short span of his life, but here was all heaven on the earth. And when all heaven, when God was here on the earth speaking, it was as if though that on the reciprocating side of darkness that God allowed the darkness to speak out in demonology in a way that it had never never done before. 
So if the opening of the seals and the revealing of the Son of Man has brought to us the great presence of the pillar of fire, then we pretty well ought to know that in this junction there will be darkness like never before. And there will be such an onslaught against the body. Look, friends, I'm in contact with people all over the world. And I hear from different parts of the world just about every day. And, you know, being friends with many, many people. And it's absolutely amazing in the last six months what has happened, not just in Happy Valley, not just in the United States, but all over the world. The things that have happened, and it seems like that the people of God are under such an attack like we have never seen it before. But yet at the same time, I would rather live right now than any time that has ever been in history. To me, my life is greater now than it has ever been before. Now, I'm not talking about materially and financially. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about my own walk with God and where the Word is right now with so much going on. I'll tell you, I was sitting downstairs studying the other night and the Lord just opened up some things to me. I had to lay my laptop down and get up and just move about a little bit. I thought, I'm going to bust wide open right here on this couch and Carol's going to come down here and find bits and pieces scattered everywhere. I'm gonna have to take a break. And you think right in the middle of hell, right in the middle of such burdens, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. You've got burdens, you've got stress, you've got things you're dealing with that you've never dealt with in your life. And look at the word. Look at what God is saying to us out of his word. Does not God concern himself with COVID? Sure he does. Is God not concerned with the things his people are going through? Yes. But to me, what's God doing, he's getting above the nest and he's flopping his wings and saying, look how great I am. Look how big I am. Look how marvelous my word is. Don't just get your eyes on the trouble and on the sickness and on the heartaches and on the disease, but get your eyes on me. Oh my. Notice Paul said that it would be perilous times. I found in studying this that he used the same word that the Lord Jesus used in Matthew 8, 28 to describe the condition of the demonic man in the gatherings. Notice this, Matthew 8, 28. And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergenesis, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tomb exceeding fierce. Now look at this word, even though it's, you know, you, you wouldn't think it. The word fierce is perilous, hard to do, hard to take, to approach, hard to bear, troublesome, dangerous, harsh, fierce, savage. Now here is this man and the description that the author Matthew chose to write of a demon possessed man was that this man was fierce. But it wasn't just that he was, had a display of anger, but he was hard to deal with. Nobody knew how to handle him. Nobody knew what to do with him. And yet the Bible goes on to tell us so that no man might pass by that way. So here we have a prophecy setting forth to us that people will be so under the power of demons in the last day. 
They will believe doctrines of devils. They will be under the influence of devils in their homes. The influence of devils by the music they listen to. If you don't believe that, all you gotta do is go in Lowe's and Walmart, anywhere you go, in all restaurants anymore, they play rock and roll. You can't even hardly sit there and eat, right? And then you think, how in the world can people live with such stuff? And yet we know it's preparing them for the tribulation period. So they will be, what, what, what will the world become? Now this is not just America, of course, but the world will become a demonic graveyard to where people are so under the influence of these demon spirits that they will be fierce and it will be for the righteous that we will not want to be around where they are. As it was the man, the maniac of Gadara, that whenever he was there, that the people would go around him. They would walk way around to bypass where the man was because you never knew what he would say. You never knew what he would do. He would come up and chomp on people and scare people and chase people. And you know as well as I do that if you and I saw anybody like that physically, most of us are gonna run from them, are we not? And yet many of the ones that we deal with today, they're not chained with natural chains, but friends, they're chained in their souls. They are souls that are in prison now. They're so shrouded in darkness, that's all they think about. They think about filth, they sing about filth. Their songs are filled with adultery and fornication. They're filled with all kinds. Well, I wish somebody would preach with me tonight. Their songs are filled with all kinds of stuff and their movies that they watch are filled with one thing after another. Their books are filled with it. The websites that they visit are filled with it. Well, praise God, that's the truth. And yet it's so sad and you and I, what do we want to do? We're finally, oh, you think you're homesick now, wait for a little more. Just wait for a little while longer when the demonic expression reaches so high that even you'll feel your very life is threatened by these demons. Remember, it's not many of these people, but it's the spirit in them that recognizes the spirit of God in you and it hates you. Notice in Paul said in verse two, whenever he lays it out, that it'll be the last days. And then it will be in this, this type of fierce, perilous time. He said, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Now, why in the world would he start out these passages of scripture when he would use to describe the conditions and the very first one that he would use was this about self-love. Now, we know that all of us are given this something by instinct, by natural birth, whatever you want to call it, and it is a protective thing within us, and automatically, if we're driving down the road and we see a brake lights within three quarters of a second, your brain will respond and your foot will go on the brake pedal. Uh, God made us that way, and it's built in us to fight or flight, and we will assess a situation and see, what do I do? Do I have to fight in this situation, or do I run? There's something in us. It's that natural something for us to survive. Is that true? It's in all of us. That, that is not what we're referring to. We feed ourselves. We take care of ourselves. You know, we take a shower. We comb our hair. We do all these things and that's just being nice to the folks you're going to sit beside in church. That's right. But yet there's something about all of us. We have that protective mode that is in us. Is that right? Well, don't look at me. Some of y'all sit, but some folks you wish they did take a shower. 
But that is not what we're talking about, but it's whenever we would love ourselves above God. It's whenever we become so narcissistic that we put our love, our desire for what we want, the way we look at things, it can be our thoughts, it can be our opinions, it can be our goals in life, and we want them and we're going to achieve them, it makes no difference who it hurts. And we really don't care whether God likes it or not, then this is the type of love that Paul is framing. So he said, for men shall be lovers of of their own selves. Now remember, this is not providing for yourself and helping yourself. So Paul begins this list of 19 evils that will be prominent in the last days of what we will deal with and truly describes our times to a T in reality. Notice this, first lovers of their own selves. So this self-esteem emphasis of our day certainly fits this well. Notice this in the fire tower of church age and the church age book. I want to give you a warning right here. It says concerning the last days that because of abounding iniquity, the love of many will wax cold. In the Laodicean or last age, self-love and love for material things will take the place of the true love of God. So then when we look at this setting, we're not talking about just people that's never even come to church, don't know nothing about God, you know, somebody handed them a track on the street one day, but we're talking about people that say they have known the Lord, they have walked with God, but they become so involved in themselves. So it's all about what they can get. You know, people come to church and they come to church that way. They think everything in church ought to be regulated around them. They think the temperature ought to be set the way theirs is in their home. They think the music ought to be set according to the volume of the way they listen to it in their home. Well, Brother Donnie, go ahead and preach. And they think this and this and this and this ought to be regulated about them. Now, friends, I hope you understand this is a very dangerous thing. You are flirting with the Laodicean self-love. When you project your own taste, your own position, your own opinion, and you will exalt that above the rest of the body. You see, as a body, we come together and some people in their home, they may keep it on 70. Other people like it 72. I've been in some homes, they like it 76. I sweated the whole time, but I endured it. Thank God I didn't have to stay long, but praise the Lord, I was able to make it. Now, you, you understand what I'm saying. But you see, and, and all that, most people that have tolerance and understanding, we know that when we come together as a group, as a body, it's going to be that. It's gonna be in the, in the mix of it all. But some are so self-centered that it's all about, well, I don't, and I, and I, and you can hear them all the time. They complain about this, and they complain about that. And what is their complaint centered around? Them their personal view. Well, I don't understand how come we have to do that. I don't understand why they haven't asked my opinion. Really? You don't understand why I haven't asked your opinion? I have a hard time dealing with self-opinionated opinionators who only wants their opinion carried out. Well, glory to God. So you see, this is part, now you imagine first of all out of 19, 
that this is one of the things that Paul felt needed to be stressed first and, and immediately and to help people to see that it will be part of the spirit in the last day that our self-love for ourselves, so that's our views, our opinion, I think, I believe, I believe this and that and the other. Notice in the prophet says, in the Laodicean or last age, self-love or love for material things will take place of the true love of God. So it's not like that you can have this kind of love for yourself with the love of God. Totally impossible. You cannot have this degree of love for yourself and have the love of God in your heart the way you need it for a rapture. You see, whenever we move into this type of love, we actually have to forfeit the depths of the love of God that he wants us to have. We cannot have both. It's totally impossible. Because this degree of self-love is satanic. Praise the Lord. Notice in... The love for material things will take the place of the true love of God. We need to guard against the power of sin in these last days. So many are getting so hard. Now listen, why? Because they haven't realized the effect of this last day spirit. Now you see, this is what happens to church people as they sit in church and they hear, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, I've heard that, I've heard that, I've heard that. And they just take it, you know, well, whatever, and they really don't pay no attention. And they, well, that'll never affect me. That'll never affect me. It's already affecting you if you think it won't affect you. It's already moved to stage one in your life. And it will come to where that it will become that it would take away your sensitivity to the Spirit of God, which will make you hard. It'll make you hard against the Word, make you hard against singing of, of the songs of Zion, worshiping God, and it begins to replace that with something else. You see, a lot of folks feel like that God made them the world's greatest critic. And they really think them being such a great criticizer is a great thing. Well, I'll tell you what the prophet of God said. He asked the church in the Branham Tabernacle to pray for him that God would get that spirit off of him for doing so much criticizing. So if Brother Branham needed to repent and needed to get that criticizing spirit off of him, I guarantee you most of us need to get it off of us. Don't consider that an attribute of God because it's not. Now, watch this, so many are getting so hard because they haven't realized the effect of this last day spirit. It is time to draw nigh to God and let him fill our lives with his love or we will feel, listen now, this is a warning, we will feel the coldness of the last day church. Now, he didn't say we were the last day church, but we would actually start feeling the coldness of the last day church. I don't know about you, I don't wanna feel that. Now, I am not the last day church. I'm part of the last day bride. But as a, as a Laodicean living in this time frame, as far as where we are, I have to fight this thing off of me. You've got to fight it off of you. You've got to fight it off of you. Why? Because it is around us. And there's nobody else that can do it for you. And the church said, or we will feel the coldness of the last day church and reject the truth of God. 
which alone is able to help us. So they will be lovers of themselves, Paul said. They will be self-centered. They will be narcissistic. Now they will be so narcissistic, and you know the word, narcissism and all that. So they will be so self-centered about themselves. And this is the degree of selfishness that is condemned. In regard to their own interests, they don't care who it hurts. They don't care who it offends. They do not care if you know if the wife has to do without, the husband has to do without, they're gonna do whatever they want to do. Oh my. So with their rights and I'm the head of the home and I'm you know this and that and the other. So if I wanna buy this and then we have to do without bread and we have to do without whatever more, I'm gonna do it because I'm the head of the home. Well I'll say this, you ain't got no right to be the head with that kind of attitude. What is that? Narcissism. So it's all about you, focusing on what you want, how you want it, and when you want it. Preach, Brother Donna. Now, you see, it is their object of life which tramples down on the very epitome of the life of the Lord Jesus. Now, when he come, he went to the exact opposite because narcissism does not come from God, but it comes from Satan. It is the base of this hateful, selfish, self-centered type of a life that we have to be careful. So if someone loves, now listen to me, they actually move to degrees into this and they will start in this direction and they will move in the, the avenue of narcissism and then they will start loving themselves more and more and more and they become more defensive of themselves and they're thinking more about themselves. Now, I hope you don't misunderstand me, but then there's actually a degree that it moves beyond just loving themselves till they start worshiping themselves. So they will spend excessive time in front of the mirror because they are so beautiful or they are so handsome. I'm sure there ain't no man here that think they're beautiful. You big sissy if you do. Oh my, they just think they're God's greatest gift to women, you know? And, and they just so admire their self or they admire everything that they have done and they look at what they've accumulated in life and I have done this and I have done that and I am a self-made man. That should never come out of your mouth if you're a child of God. Oh, if you've got money and you're rich, you ought to thank God if he could trust you with it. You could have been a pauper. You could have been homeless tonight living under one of the bridges here in Johnson City if it was not for the grace of God. But you see, when we go to taking the blessing of God and pointing it toward us as if though we've done all this, I've done this, I've done that. The Lord Jesus spoke about this very thing when he was here. So then the person can move to a spot to where they no longer love themselves so deeply, but they actually start worshiping themselves. Now they will never bow down. And the reason that this confuses people when you talk about worship is because people don't understand worship. People saying that when, oh, you, you can go around every day of your life. There's so many opportunities you miss in worshiping God. You can worship God at Walmart. You can worship God at Lowe's. You can worship God on your job. That don't mean you're going down through Lowe's riding the back of a buggy and you're shouting and screaming and speaking in tongues. They'll throw you in jail. 
but you can walk down through there and you can be praising God and loving God and thanking God. Come on, friends. We don't have to make ourselves peculiar and odd. You can do it making an apple pie. You can do it making up your bed. Is that right? So what do you do? You're giving him the homage of your heart. You're giving him the deepest being that you are and you give that to him because it's reserved for him only. But when a person goes to worshiping themselves, then they go to recalculating everything of their life. If they're a married woman, a married man, then they will pull everything, every family activity, everything around themselves. So their day off is what? It's centered around them. Their time off. Well, this is my time. This is my day off. This is my, my, my. Watch this. Now, this is key words. I, me, and mine. And it's key words to see if you're worshiping yourself or worshiping God. Well, hallelujah. You see, when it's all about you and your thoughts and your opinion and this and that and the other, you're probably a self-worshipper. Now, I want to tell you, yourself never made yourself and it can't save yourself and it can't deliver yourself. So you're worshiping a selfless, powerless being. So if I was you, I'd quit worshiping you and start worshiping God because he's the only one that can help us out of the mess that we're in. Now, people then, notice this, it was this that Satan played upon Eve in her state of ignorance as it was whenever he told her, ye shall be as gods. Now, what did he offer her? Her being exalted above a place of understanding. Now, God had already made man a God, but it was he was offering something to her that it seemed like a mysterious something that she didn't know. She didn't understand it. She did not perceive it. So he said, you will be as gods. Oh, my. You mean I can be a God? I can be a God? Can't you see why this age and scientific research and all the things that they've done, why that most of the scientific people are above God. They don't need God to, to believe in God. It's so puny, so weak, you know. They look at us as morons and whatever more because we're not very scientific. We're not very smart. Poor Brother Donnie, he don't have no degrees. And that's exactly right. And I thank God I don't. But if you can have one and still have faith, praise the Lord. But if your degree ever comes against your faith, don't get rid of your faith. Get rid of your degree. So he offered them a godship. So what? So she could be able to worship something about herself. So you mean, I will become divine. There will be something about me that'll be so supernatural and so super spiritual. And of course we know that he lied to her. So then what happens is the truth of God is changed into a lie, which is one of the prophecies of the last day. And they will serve and worship the creature more than the creator. Is that your Bible in the book of Romans? So then the creator becomes what? He becomes small, unneeded, insignificant. Oh, who needs God anymore? Who needs God anymore? You know, we've got science. We can do this and that. And tell me, great scientist, how many people have you let die, scientist, with COVID-19? Tell me, scientist, why haven't you stopped death yet? Tell me with all your laboratories, why are people still getting old? Because God's word said they would. Is that right? So no matter how much man wants him make himself God, he ain't no God, he's deceived. Well, praise the Lord. 
Notice then, so man shall be lovers of their own selves. And then the second attribute that Paul felt led to describe was covetous. Now the word used here for covetous is actually more, more accurately rendered from the original is lovers of money. So this is particularly the love of money. So it's not just, you know, wanting this person's farm or this or that, but it is more toward the root of this evil of the love of money. The love of money has been called the daughter of selfishness. So covetousness would be something in the last day that would be a trademark or one of the signs of the time. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, Paul said, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Now you hear people misquote this many times and they say that money is the root of all evil. You're misquoting the Bible. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil, but it is the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, there are many rich people that God has entrusted with all kinds of money. Now, I know most of you probably here do not think you are rich, but I've been in many of the third world countries, uh, you know, in other places, and believe me, every one of you sitting here tonight are rich compared to them. That's right. But yet we know that there are some among us, and even in the message and in our ranks, that would be considered rich. But in reality, they don't have the love of money. They're able to take the money that God gives them and God entrusts them with and they take that and send it here and books here and this, that and the other, help build churches and, and many of them keep it to themselves. They don't say one thing about it. Now, if a person can do that, that's quite a blessing from the Lord. But it's not money that is the root of evil, but it is the love of money. Notice Paul said, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. So you imagine now we're not talking about cigarettes, and we're not talking about TV, pornography, but just people that would so want money so bad, and love money so bad, and coveted so much, that somehow they would trade it out. Wonder how they done it. Well, it might have started out by taking a second job. It might have started out by working a double shift, and they started missing this service, that service, that service, and another service before long. They really didn't care if they went to church or not because they was making more money than they'd ever had in their life. And they begin to sell out and lose their faith. Why? All for the love of money. Now, why is it about money? Is it just to hoard the money itself? For many, it's not that. It's simply that money is a script and money will be able to buy them the things they want. So they want a bigger house. They want a boat. They want a four-wheeler. They want this. They want that. They want that. They want that. So they've got to have money in order to get all these things that they want. Oh my goodness. I, I, I must be at the wrong church, folks. I am so sorry. I, I thought I was going to preach to my church tonight. Y'all as quiet as a bunch of Baptists. Oh my. Notice he said that while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced. Notice, Satan never done it. They pierce themselves through 
with many sorrows. Look, friends, much of our battles, one day you're going to look back and realize, many of our battles were not even the devil doing it. The devil was sitting down in hell eating an ice cream and drinking a glass of iced tea, and you was doing it yourself, either by your mouth or by your thoughts or by your negativism or by your love of money or whatever more. You imagine a person then would pierce themselves. Don't we have enough piercing going on without us doing it to ourselves? and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Oh, my. Notice, then he moves on from covetous to boasters. Wow. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous boasters. Boasters. Self-assuming. Valuing themselves beyond all others. I'm going to go in the office, my office here, and preach the rest of this. <laughs> Valuing themselves beyond all others. Those who attribute to themselves honor which does not fairly belong to them. Boasters of their wealth and riches of their honor and their grandeur. My goodness, and I'm sure you've noticed already, I have not mentioned drinking. I've not mentioned pornography. Paul never mentioned prostitution. He never even mentioned abortion, as horrible as that is. You mean boasting? is one of the signs of the end time of people thinking they are so elevated and they know so much or they're so smart or they're so much prettier or they have so much more money and they have this attitude that they look down on people beneath them because they're not in their social class or their status. That's one of the 19 descriptions of the last day spirit. Well, praise the Lord. <laughs> Revelation 3:17 describes this very well. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increase with goods, and have need of nothing. Nothing. Brother, that is a broad statement. I have need of nothing. Nobody can tell me anything. I don't need to listen to a preacher. I've got everything I need on the tapes. I'm as smart as any preacher that ever was on this earth. You're a Revelation Laodicean 317. Praise the Lord. Have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You see what self-evaluation can do. Now they looked at themselves and they said, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods. Why, look at me. I absolutely don't need one thing, not one thing. But God's evaluation was they were blind, they were wretched, they were naked, they were miserable, and the worst thing about it was they didn't even know it. So how in the world are you ever going to convince people like the first part of this phrase that they are actually the last part? 
How are we ever? Friends, for many, we never will. But think of it. Many of us in our former years of the church that we went to or in the status that we were in, we were the first half of Revelation 3.17. But God, by His grace, was able to help us see the last half of this verse. And we were able to see we were wretched, blind, poor, naked, and miserable. And we didn't even know it till grace opened our eyes. Oh my. Why? Because boasting, what does it tie back to? The love of self and the estimation of oneself. Oh, friends, humility, you know, that's that, that type of a word in this day we're living in. Now, so many self-help books, so many books of how to, you know, love yourself and how to bring up, lift yourself. Sure, I understand that. I understand that you've got to put yourself that's redeemed in the hands of God and you can be down on yourself and down on yourself. That don't help you or nobody else. But whenever you are trying to lift your unregenerate self, you're bragging on the wrong feller. That's exactly right. You're trying to, oh, self-help books with this and self-help for dummies and, and how to lift yourself up higher and how to be this, how to be that. Don't you understand where all that's coming from? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, praise be to God. Notice in Revelation 18, 7, how this thing, same thing carries right on over to the consummation of this whore church. How much she has glorified herself. Now, this is a Roman Catholic church. And lived deliciously so much torment and sorrow give her. For she said in her heart, I set a queen, am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Now look at how the church, and remember the Protestantism will marry into Catholicism, and this will be the joint confession of all of those when it turns out of her into him. Remember, there is a transition time. It had to take place in the bride. Don't, don't let the bride age term confuse you. It's simply just the lifespan of time of the church age of Laodicea. It's not another age. It's just that lifespan of time. When we come out from being the church, being recognized as the church, being recognized that we were supposed John 3.16 believers, unworthy of grace and going to hell and this and that and the other, and we come to an acknowledgement that we were not the church so much, but we were the bride. The call out, the elected, and even in the opening of the seals that the prophet would tell us, I no longer call you church, but I call you bride. So what do we do? We come out of the movement of her and we come in to him. Now, we realize then that the church ages has been this movement of her, but it will come in the very last increment of time in the Laodicean church age, that there is this span of time that people can come out of denominations and still be foolish virgin type. And the prophet said, it got to come out of her before it goes into him. Because when Satan comes on the earth and this church merges into him, there is no turning back. 
You see, once you come out of her into him, there is no turning back. And when the church, the people that's able to make the foolish virgin, when they come out of her before it goes into him, Satan, there's still mercy for them. But there before, oh my, before it goes into the consummation of the tribulation period, it will change from her to him. And when it changes over to him, he that is filthy is filthy still. He that is holy is holy still. What's this? So men shall be lovers of their own selves and covetous and boasters. And then he uses the word here, proud. The word here means haughty. It is the attitude of a person who thinks they are better than others. Now let me tell you something tonight. If you are privileged by the grace of God to see the revealed word of this hour the message of Malachi 4, Luke 17, Revelation 10, all that. It has nothing to do with you being better than anybody else. It's the grace of God. They actually with contempt. Now, in order to fulfill this, this prophetic word here, proud. They must, I'm not, I'm not talking about something that you do and your, your child will, will maybe knock a home run and, or your child will you know, do something in sports and, and you're so proud and you go up to them, oh honey, I'm so proud of you. You made a hundred in biology and you made a hundred in algebra one and you, you, I'm so proud of you. That's not the type of pride that we're talking about. Uh, but it's the pride that exalts your view of yourself and your status and it looks down on those that are beneath you. Maybe they aren't as privileged as you are financially or maybe even their revelation in the word that God has not entrusted them with the same scope of revelation that he has you. And you have this about you that whenever you get around, well, he don't know very much. He's not very deep. He's not, you know, so you kind of look down. Do you understand you're fulfilling 2 Timothy 3 when you do that? You see, if God allows us to see something more than someone else, it's God that did that. It's not you. It's not because you prayed so much and you, you've done this. Well, I deserve it. You don't deserve one thing. You deserve to go to hell as far as the flesh is concerned. Oh, my God. May God help us, friends. I, I don't want to be none of this to you. Now, look, we, we must take warning. We must take warning. This is not written to infidels. This is not written to agnostic. This is written to the believers. This, this letter is actually written to a man of God, Timothy. This is written to a man of God. And that man of God was going to take that word. I wonder why Timothy didn't go around and just read this. But instead, Timothy went around and preached it. That's why I don't go around and just play tapes. Because what I hear on them tapes is, preach the word. Hallelujah. Notice, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. This don't mean what you think. Look at the meaning of this word, speaking evil slanderous, reproachful, railing, abusive. So when people will slander a servant of God, not just a preacher, a servant of God, when they will slander 
a Christian, a child of God. You understand what they're doing? Blaspheming. Read your Greek lexicon. This is the word Paul used. Speaking evil, slanderous, reproachful, railing, abusive. So when people will put things about us, me, you, the children of God, whoever they are, whether they are preachers or not, and they will fabricate things and slander our name and run us down and try to make us look evil. They're blaspheming. Now, let's bring it on down a little farther. If you do it, so are you. Oh my, you know what, friends? We'd be a whole lot better off if we'd keep this thing right here in our mouths and keep them gates closed and keep them fingers right there off of a lot of keyboards. If you ain't got enough sense to have Facebook, get rid of it. If Facebook makes you look like a dummy, get rid of it. Amen, Brother Donnie. Amen, Brother Donnie. Amen, Brother Donnie. Notice blasphemy. Matthew 12, 31. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him neither in this world neither in the world to come. So the Spirit of God moving on us and we would shout and worship God and praise the Lord. The Holy Ghost moves on men of God to anoint them to pray for the sick and to lay hands on them and they cast out devils and they're healed and people would look at it or hear it and say, that's an evil spirit. You just crossed the line. There's no hope for you. Because blasphemy is to call the work of God an evil spirit. Think about it. Now, this is only one aspect by which blasphemy is addressed. Notice in Romans chapter 2, verse 22. Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. Now you imagine that people can actually become the channel by which people blaspheme the name of God. Now here Paul is not complimenting those, but he's actually rebuking them because they were saying, don't you do this and don't you do that. And he said, and yet some of you turn around and do the same thing that you say don't do. And then other people will look at that and they're watching you and they actually blaspheme the name of God and say there's nothing to Christianity, there's nothing to Jesus Christ, there's nothing to the cross, there's nothing to the blood. Because look at what so-and-so does. So they actually blaspheme through your false testimony. Wonder if we could social distance and have an altar call tonight. I think we all might need to hit it. My, my. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you 
as it is written. Notice in Titus 2.3, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So you mean Christian women can actually, by neglect in their life, by not being the right kind of mother, by not being the right kind of wife. How would people blaspheme the name of God? Because you may be the only Christian that they ever see. And they see the way you live and they see what you do and they will look and say, if that is Christianity, I want nothing to do with it. While they lie and they cheat and they steal and they do this and that and the other and she gets on Facebook and runs down everybody in the church. And if that's Christianity, if that's what Jesus does, I don't want nothing to do with him. And you imagine through the channel of your testimony, they blaspheme the very name, work, and program of Almighty God. Notice another aspect of blasphemy. Revelation 13, 3. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. Of course, it changes from Romanism under the uh, other aspect of the emperors unto the more spiritual, supposed aspect of it. And the deadly wound was healed, and it raises back up with this great power. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. Now, the dragon is Satan. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. While this is going on on the earth, you're enjoying a marriage supper. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. So you are gone. The rapture is already completed. He is still so mad He's blaspheming the name of God, blaspheming the tabernacle of God, blaspheming you. There you are in heaven, dwelling in heaven. Can't you see when people get under a blasphemous anointing to ridicule, to criticize, they have nothing good to say. Their life is filled with bitterness and hatred. Can't you see how scary that is? And yet many of those would never touch a cigarette. They would never press a bottle of whiskey to their lips or a beer. And they're as rotten and corrupt as the serpent himself. Because their life and their spirit and their attitude is so filled with bitterness and hatred. May God help us. 
If you're able, stand to your feet. Oh my, think of it children, what a day to be living. Let me just read this verse two, two again. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Of all the things that he could have described, as I said, where, where's prostitution? Where's homosexuality? Where's aborting babies? He could have wrote that prophetically. They wasn't even doing it at this time, but he could have prophetically wrote it down if God wanted it. But something like being disobedient to parents, unthankful, not appreciating things that God and people do for you. And this is the attitude of Laodicea. You owe everybody something. That's the attitude that people have. You owe it to me. And that's the way they come to God. God, you owe it to me. If God give you what he owes you, you'd be burning tonight. I ain't talking about because it's warm in this church. But this is the attitude. And this is what many people expect from their government. Many people don't want to work. They don't want to provide. I reckon they figure the government makes money. The government does not make money. The government takes taxes and they distribute that tax money. The government does not make money. The government is not a money-making business. They're a money-blowing business. But the mindset of so many of the Americans are what? Gimme, 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 gimme. More you get them, gimme, 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 gimme more. And many people come to church with the same attitude. Gimme, 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 gimme. I want, I want, I want, I want. But the attitude of the Lord Jesus was, I want to give away. I want to give away. It's not what can you give to me. He didn't come and say, what can you give to me, Larry? What can you give to me, Gary? But he said these words, the son has come that you might have life. And you might have it more abundantly. Guess what, friends? These things that we've read right here tonight, if we stop and don't go any farther, these things we've read right here tonight is split in many message churches. You get a selfish person in there, whether it's a businessman or a preacher or, a, you know, whatever it is. He wants his own agenda, and he's not willing to step over here and be what God wants him to be. He wants to be the associate pastor, wants to be this and that and the other. Same with musicians, same with songwriters, same with whatever more. They have their agenda. They're never appreciated. They're never used. Oh, my, their gifts are so great. And God just, oh, God just gifted them so much. Their attitude is what keeps them from going any farther. They'll never go any farther. Me, you, I don't care who it is. If Brother Branham would have had that attitude, God would have never used the man. He couldn't. May God help us. You kids, I'm going to spare you a little bit tonight. And I'm going to deal with this again. Oh, you say next Wednesday, Brother Donnie? I'm not going to tell you. Who knows, I might trick you and preach it on Sunday. Or you say, I'm not coming next Wednesday. I'm not sure when I'm going to preach it yet, you see, so. 
I got to studying for Sunday today. I, I, I was having the office time ever was being pulled. I wanted to preach Sunday Cummins' message tonight. I, I, oh, God, please let me. Some of y'all wish I had of them. <laughs> Look, children, this is what separates us from the church. It ain't just your hair, sisters. It ain't just your skirts. They identify us as the skirt church. We're more than the skirt church. We're this church. Hallelujah. If we're just different by our skirts, we're as lost as they are. This is what helps us. His word. Let's bow our heads together. Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I pray first of all, would you mind searching me first off? Would you point your great light, as it were, inside of me? See if you see anything in me, Lord, that displeases you. Am I proud? Am I arrogant? Lord, Search me. Help me. If you show me anything, Father, I'll make it right. If I have to do it before the world, I will. Keep me, Lord. We live in this day and we rub shoulders with the people of the day, but more than that, we feel this influence around us in the world of demonology. There's not a person here that hasn't dealt with some of these things, if not many of them. They feel it come against them. Sometimes they catch it, and sometimes we don't. But Lord, help us. We don't want to be proud. We don't want to be blasphemers. We don't want to ridicule people and run them down. And we know in the age that we're living, people don't care one bit to do it, not even based upon truth and facts. As a matter of fact, the truth is really not the greatest thing people want to promote in this day. Most people don't want truth. It's too plain. It's too too simple. It has to be fabricated and more added to it. Lies sell much, much, much more newspapers. Lies sell many more videos and get you a whole lot more hits on YouTube. That way you get paid back from YouTube more for your advertisements. So you get more money. So it don't really matter if you have to stretch the truth just a little bit. And you leave out this and that and the other. Because if you did that, then that would fully expose your lies. God, we, we don't want that. We want to be honest, straightforward, faithful. Help us, Lord God. We don't want to just be known by our skirts of our sisters. The long hair. We don't want to just be known because we don't drink beer and wine and Oh, that sort of thing. We want the very Word of God to be so living out of our lives. But that old man is so dead, he don't have no control over us anymore. And there's a brand new nature living inside of us. And we were reunited with another nature. And we got our marriage certificate. And that germ that was to be us, 
was in us before the world began. So there is a life that will follow that germ. I pray for those in the visible audience under the sound of my voice. I pray for those, Lord God, out on the internet. Those that will pull the service up, Lord, whether, wherever they are. May you help them. Help each of us, Father, that our lives can be able to answer these words. We love you, Father. Forgive us if we've entertained these spirits. Forgive us, Lord, if we've yielded our instruments. It just amazes me that people think that all they have to watch is smoking and pornography. Lord, some of these things right here have destroyed many more people than that. Help us, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to this earth and being a man and feeling our temptations and able to overcome every bit of it and say, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We worship you tonight, Lord God. I wonder how many of you with every head bowed, and those of you that mean it from the sincerity of your heart, you would just like to raise your hand to the Lord Jesus. And by that, you're going to say, Lord, help me to be the right kind of a person. If I've done one or two or many of these things, forgive me, Lord. If I've been proud, arrogant, if I've looked down on others, Forgive me, Lord. I, I didn't realize, Lord, that it, it was this, this wrong. I didn't realize it was this serious. I'm sorry. If there's Christians in our church or Christians in other church, and I've looked down on them because their clothes and maybe their shoes had holes in them and they were ragged and the car they drove and I really just had a bad attitude toward them. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord God, if we've slipped up and people have looked at us and said, you mean that's a Christian? Forgive us, Lord God, if we've ever displayed pride, arrogance in a wrong way, Father. Help us, Lord. We want to be under this spirit of the last days that's holy, filled with love. We want to trade hard-headedness and stubbornness and rebellion for submission and love and forgiveness. Lord Jesus, we want to be like you. Your prophet would come when he would go to preach that absolute astounding sermon, perfect faith, and the scriptures that he would read and say, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive yours. And then he would make this comment, so we see that faith is based upon forgiveness. So we'll never be able to move into the realm of perfect faith as long as we're holding grudges and someone said something against us and we think about it and mull over it and it may be a year, it may be two, it may be three, but we will wait for the opportunity to get back at them. Help us to realize, Lord, that's not your nature. That's not your spirit. That's Satan anointing our Ishmael because he's a wild man. He's a stubborn, hard-headed donkey of a man. Oh, anoint our Isaac, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hey, let's sing something together and just worship him a little bit. You love him, saints, with all your heart? Amen. With all your heart? Yes, your soul, your strength? How many wants to be this type of a believer? This type of a Christian? 
that the Lord Jesus can use you. Oh my, it's amazing how many people want to have such power to lay hands on the sick. Preachers are so envious of each other. If one man's gifted above another and more supernatural follows his, his ministry, oh, it's awful. It's awful among preachers how that thing is, is so, so terrible. But I wonder how many wants to be like Jesus in forgiveness, wants to be like Jesus in turning the other cheek. You don't find very many people jealous of that. Why? We don't esteem it high enough. We do not esteem it as one of the greatest things we could ever get from Jesus Christ. To be able to love like Him. To forgive like Him. To be able to look at those that hate you and not feel hatred inside of you, but to look at them with compassion and mercy and say, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. I want to be like Jesus. Sing something, Harry. Can we just worship Him a little? I know you kids have got school maybe and some of you got work tomorrow and all that, so let's just, let's just worship Him a little. Look, friends, just take advantage of every one of these opportunities. This COVID situation is increasing again. Hopefully God will keep it away from us for they won't shut us down. But you, we, we don't know what, what the government's going to do to us. We do not know under this incoming administration what they're going to do. Let's take advantage of every time we have the opportunity to come to the house of God. Don't slack up praying. Keep on praying. God will send this thing back to hell and get, get, deliver his people of it. Let's worship him and that will kill me. Oh, Change Jesus. my heart, oh God. Oh, grant it, Lord Jesus. Search me, Lord. It ever true. Search every individual here tonight, Father. Change my heart, oh God. Hallelujah. May I be like you. Change my heart, church. God. Change my heart, God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you.
forgive me I need your grace to make it through Lord, all I have is you I'm at your mercy Lord, I'll serve you service next Wednesday night. I guess Thanksgiving and the traveling and all that, so remember that. No service next Wednesday, so just be praying for the service Sunday. Sounds like Brother Donnie's got something good lined up for us. Look forward to that. Appreciate the word tonight, don't you? Yeah. We, we look at all those things that Brother Donnie talked about and the, the signs of the end time, and that's not for us to look at the folks in Laodicea. And those poor people will, will be this and they will be that. I, I feel like those are warnings to us, you know, for this flesh man, that, that we have that constant reminder of this, this is what we're capable of if we yield to the flesh. So I appreciate that word tonight. Brother Harry's going to sing something for us as we go tonight. Let's just sing this as you go tonight. I believe we could all sing this. Come. Sweet Jesus, take me from this place. I really don't belong here now. I want to see. 